Glory to God. We'll just pray together. Thank you, Father, for for giving us Jesus. Thank you that when you gave us Jesus, that you gave us everything. Thank you for giving us all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him. Our hearts are in your hand. Our desire for life, we commit them into your hands. Give us eyes to see what you've done in Jesus, to offer us yourself, to serve us with the life that we've always longed for. Give us eyes to see you're working in us, even now and forevermore. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to God. Um, Man, I think about so many things. It's like I change what I want to preach like every other day. And so what I ended up just just sticking on is is this thought um, from Ezekiel. Can you guys hear me back there? I got this bad habit that I don't know that what microphone does, and so I think I have to yell loud enough to reach you in the back, but I'm glad you can hear. But I was thinking of Ezekiel 37, right? And in Ezekiel 37, God says, Son of man, prophesy. Prophesy, son of man. And I was just thinking about that, and I was just captivated by that. And, and you know, before God says to Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy, he asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And so there's Ezekiel looking at all these bones, looking at just graves, and God's asking him, can these bones live, son of man? And, you know, Ezekiel, he's a smart guy. I mean, it's like, is this a trick question? I mean, they're not alive now, so I mean, I don't know what you're asking me. I mean, I could just imagine myself thinking, what is this guy asking me? But Ezekiel, he's a smart guy. He says, thou knowest, Lord. (laughs) Don't ask me. And it, it sounds funny, and it's a nice story and all that, but when Ezekiel says, thou knowest, Lord, it has an implication in the Hebrew. And what the implication is, is whether these bones live or not, it's in your hands. And the implication is, according to human Uh, judgment, and according to human ability, it's inconceivable for us to even think that these bones can live. So asking me whether or not these bones can live or not, that whole idea is in your hands, Lord. Thou knowest, Lord. That's what he's saying. You tell me, God. Because I ain't seen no human come out of the grave. I ain't seen no human conquer death before. And so don't ask me whether these bones can live. You tell me whether these bones can live or not. And then God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones, son of man. And he starts to talk about speaking to the bones to form the flesh and the nutrients for the flesh to come back even around the bones. And and to not get into all of those verses, you can read it for yourself, and I encourage you to read it for yourself. I know we've gotten to this place where we don't read the scriptures, and that's okay. You can talk with God, but you can read the scriptures still. It's nice. It's nice. Go and read Ezekiel 37 and just ask God, what are you saying here? But prophesy, son of man, call forth life in these bones. That's what he's saying. Now, son of man is not just a nice thing to say you're a human. The term son of man can mean that you're a human, and it does carry an implication that it's a human. And so it has that with it. But son of man is also a moniker for Messiah the Messiah. And so when God's talking to Ezekiel, yes, he's talking to Ezekiel, but I don't know if you guys know, Jesus came on the road to 
uh, Emmaus said that all of the scriptures, the law and the prophets, were all speaking of him. And so even God had a conversation with Ezekiel about can these bones live. It's talking about God and Jesus, really, and them sorting the thing out. And so Jesus is actually the Son of Man. You can read in the Gospels all the time, he called himself the Son of Man. All the time, they called him the Son of Man. And it meant something to them when he called himself the Son of Man. It wasn't just like, oh, he's saying he's a human, right? Well, yes, he's a human. Look at him. He's got flesh and bone. He's a human. But he was Messiah. That's what he was. And so when, when we see in the Scripture, Son of Man, Jesus is the Son of Man. And Jesus, as the Son of Man, prophesied through his resurrection. And in fact, what I want to say, the resurrection of Jesus is God prophesying. And it's God calling forth life out of dead bones. And it's not just God calling forth life out of dead bones. It's God answering the question, can these bones live? And it isn't just a question, can these bones live? The question really to God is, can God raise the dead? Does God possess the ability to raise the dead? Because I promise you, mankind, we thought the promise was made void. We thought the promise God made to us of eternal life, glorified immortal bodies, the fullness of God himself dwelling in our human flesh, we thought that promise was made void by death. We saw death come and manifest in our flesh. And we saw death manifest in the flesh of every human that had ever lived. And we saw them return to the grave. And we thought that meant that death is greater than God. In fact, it was the almighty death. Forget about the almighty God. It was the almighty death. And so the question was, can God raise the dead? Can God even overcome death in the flesh and take a flesh that has death in it and raise that flesh up and glorify it to the point that there's no death in it anymore and it can never die again? That's what the question is. And so the resurrection of Jesus is God declaring that he is almighty. He is the almighty God. And by almighty, it's not just a nice saying. When God came and revealed himself to Abraham and said, I am the almighty God, it was declaring something to Abraham. It was telling Abraham that God could even raise up life out of his dead body. I'm Lord even over death. I can even make death bow down. And so the resurrection of Jesus, it's God prophesying that he's the almighty God, that he possesses the life in himself that can even eradicate death from the flesh, that can even heal our flesh from death and raise us up in a flesh that can never die again. That's what's going on in Ezekiel. He has a life that can heal even the deadness in our flesh. The resurrection is God prophesying. It's God telling us that he's greater than the death that's in the earth. The empty grave is God calling us forth out of the grave clothes that the world has tried to clothe us in. And do you know how the world tries to clothe you in grave clothes? It comes to tell you that the death in the world, that the lack that the death in the world has served you with, is greater than God's ability to produce his life in you. The world has come and tried to clothe you in grave clothes by telling you that the sin you see in the world, the death you see in the world, the bad that's happened to you, the trauma that's come against your life, that those things are greater than the faith of Jesus Christ and the life that his faith manifested in the earth. And that's how it gets you in grave clothes. 
in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God declaring once and for all that he has a life in himself that does not bow down to death. It is not subject to death. It is not in need of everything around it going right to produce life. And now we see he's almighty. This guy disrespected death in our midst. I mean, what kind of a guy can disrespect death? The Almighty God. Well, that just changed everything. I don't know if you realize it. That changes everything in the whole world. Right? The Almighty God. Now listen, man. When I think of that, I, when, when, I don't know if you can tell, but all those things I just said, do you know what I feel inside of me? I feel Christ living in me. That's what I feel happening on the inside of myself right now. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> Prophesy. Prophesy. Why is it we feel so full when somebody gives us a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge? Why does that have an effect on us? What does that do inside of us? Or we get a revelation from God about something very specific in our life. You ever notice how you feel like this? It's like, what wall can I run through now? Seriously. Have you, have you noticed that? There's like a strength that comes alive inside of you that can only be described as the grace of God manifesting in you. I remember when Becky and I were going to start the church, I felt like I could run through a wall. And, and God told me, pray this scripture over yourself. And it was Luke 4, 17 and 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon you. He has anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent you to heal the brokenhearted. And I felt very good about that. Yes, I was praying that. And all of a sudden I heard this voice say, you can't pray that. You're not Jesus. And I was like, there's no confusion for me. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not Jesus. I'm looking at my hands. No, there's no piercings. No, I'm looking at my side. I'm not Jesus. So then I immediately thought, we can't start the church. And I was all ready to run and hide. We ain't starting no church. What was I thinking? We're working at a finance company. We're going to go start a church. I'm crazy. But to, to make a long story short, I was too chicken to tell the people who ordained us that we weren't going to do it. I'll just show up, pretend like we're still going to do it, because I can't have nobody talk me out of it. And then Becky and I, we're just going off to the beach somewhere, and we're going to buy jet skis and rent jet skis, and we'll just do parasailing the rest of our lives and get a nice tan. That sounds nice. Well, this prophet guy came to the church service where they were telling everybody what I was going to do. And I watched that guy the whole time. And I was like, I don't know this dude. And I, as I was leaving, he stood up. And he said, I came last week because God told me to come here. He said, I'm from New Mexico. I've never been here. I've never been to this church. God told me to come to this church. I come last Sunday and nothing happened. I was supposed to do this last Sunday, but I didn't make it. He said, I said, God says, come back this Sunday. And so he said, I come back and I sit through the whole service and I'm still like, what am I here for, Lord? He said, and then you stood up and he stood back and he pointed at me. You know what he said to me? The spirit of the Lord is upon you for he hath anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. Listen, that dude read those verses and started saying all that, and I don't know if you understand, but like a fear and trembling came over me. Like all of a sudden, I was awestruck because there's no way that dude could know that, 
And it was like God was right there in my midst working in my life. And immediately I felt like I could run through a wall all over again. And you know what was happening is Christ was living in me. Right. And I felt like nothing can stop me. Death can't stop me. The fact that I can't talk in front of people can't stop me. The fact that I got no business starting the church can't stop me. The fact that I don't even have any background in starting the church. There's no umbrella. None of that could stop me. <laughs> Why do we feel so invigorated when somebody gives us a word like that? And I'll tell you the reason, a lot of you have had that. Probably everybody in this room, whether you know it or not, you've had an encounter with God like that. More than once in your life. And you know what I'm talking about, where you just feel God. And you feel juiced. The reason we feel invigorated when somebody gives us a word is because it gives us eyes to see God working in our lives. And we're the kind of people that we want to know that we have life. And we want to know that we have a full life. We have a kind of life that is so much that it can't be taken from. And when we encounter things in this world, many times we think we don't have the life we need. We think we're missing something. And in that place where I heard the voice telling me, you're not Jesus, you can't pray that, immediately thought I'm missing something. And the thing I'm missing is God. I don't have what I need to do this, and God's not with me. And the moment that guy come and read that word to me, what it told me was, is God is with me working in my life. It's a powerful thing when you know God is in your midst. Like, you ain't wondering if he's in your midst. And I just want to tell you, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the sign God gave us so we would always know that he's in our midst. And the reason why he did it in that way is because death works to tell us, where's your God now? When we see death in the world, when we see lack, when we see corruption in the earth, those things are trying to speak. And they're trying to say to you, where's your God now? And we're always looking for a sign to believe God's working life in us. We're always looking for a sign to believe that God's love us, that he's with us, that he's giving us what we need to have life. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God shining a light in the midst of our darkness, which was the death in this world, to give us the one sign we should be living by which is the sign of Jonah being spit out of the belly of the whale. <laughs> mm. Man, you see God working in your midst. It's a powerful thing. You're no longer looking through a glass darkly lit. You're standing face to face with the Father of lights. And man, a fear and trembling comes upon you. And fear and trembling does not mean to be afraid. The kind of fear and trembling that comes upon you is, is, is in the sense of you're awestruck by the Father and you're awestruck by the love He feels for you and the good work you see He's doing in your life. Because if you want life and you need life, and you got, everybody in here got something telling them tonight they don't have what they need to have life. But I promise you, if you had eyes to see God with you, even in you, one body with you, already working inside of you to manifest his life in you, now and forevermore, listen, you'd feel Christ living in you. Right? So man, that fear and trembling, it, 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 it makes you still. And you're just awestruck by the good work God has done, is doing, and will do to manifest the fullness of himself inside of you bodily. Right? And what I want to say about what's happening there in those situations is salvation is being worked out of you. 
You guys know that verse, right? <laughs> well, let, well, let's just read those verses. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul. Wherefore, I would say the great Apostle Paul, but Paul would probably come and say, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm only a man just like you are. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out <laughs> your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, like that example I just used of when that prophet came and quoted to me the verse that I had been praying. That was God himself working out salvation out of me. And the way he was working salvation out of me was, was by him revealing to me that he was there working in my life. And that's actually what Paul says here. When Paul says work out your salvation, he's pointing to the strength of God to produce God's life in you. He's not pointing to something you're going to bring forth in yourself. He's pointing to the ability of God to bring forth life in you. That's what he's saying. If you go back a couple verses, he says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And do you know the mind that was in Christ Jesus? Well, Hebrews 5 tells us the mind that was in Christ Jesus. And the mind that was in Christ Jesus is when he was hanging on a cross and dying, the mind that was in Christ Jesus is he looked to the strength in the Father's hand to save him from death. That's what it says. Paul goes on to say, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do. So it's God who's doing the working. It's God who did the work to get salvation in you. It's His salvation. It's Him that did the work to get the salvation in you. And now it's going to be Him that's going to do the work to bring the salvation out of you. And so the key to having the salvation worked out of you is fear and trembling. And you can't do fear and trembling all on your own. And fear and trembling doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It doesn't mean to be like in terror about God. Fear and trembling means to be made still or to stand awestruck by something you see because you think it's amazing. Listen, every day I'm awestruck by my beautiful wife. Every day. And I know she thinks that i got to be making it up, but she'll, she could testify literally five or six times a day I comment about some silly thing she does. And she thinks I'm just, what is wrong with this? And like just the things she does, the way she does it, I'm just like awestruck, right? I'm just so in wonder and amazement at all the little things she does. From the first time I saw her walk down the stairs, and I tell everybody this, time stood still. It was like slow motion, right? Her hair was blowing in the wind like there was a fan, you know? But there was no fan. But her hair was blowing in the wind, and I heard that, I think it's a 70s song. Who's that lady? Who's that lady? A fear and trembling come upon me when I saw that woman. All I, I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. All I could do was stand still there and gaze upon her. It has been like that our whole life. Right? Moses says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. 
right? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Listen, there was some fear and trembling when God parted the Red Sea. I mean, when God just takes a sea and starts piling it up on top of each other on the side, I mean, at first you're just like, at first you're rubbing your eyes thinking, is this really happening? Am I having a dream? Am I having some type of hallucination, right? And, and then you realize, no, this is really happening. And then if you're a Hebrew, what you're jumping to is this dude is doing this to deliver us. This dude loves our lives so much, he's even parting the sea in order to deliver us from oppression and slavery. Oh, man. There was some fear and trembling for those Israelites. Not that they were afraid, but they were in awe of what God did to deliver them from the Egyptians. If we all went outside right now, there's a beautiful lake. And if we went all went outside right now and all of a sudden God parted that lake and we saw that thing start piling on top of each other in big walls, listen, there would be some wonder and amazement going on, right? It's like, do you see what I see? You start looking around to see if other people see the same thing you see. I mean, there is a fear and there would be an awe that would come upon you as you're looking at the walls of water starting to pile up. That's fear and trembling. That's what Paul's talking about, a fear and trembling that comes upon you. Now, this fear and trembling doesn't come upon you because you decide you're going to stand in fear and trembling. It's a magnificent thing that God parted the Red Sea. But God did something far greater than part the Red Sea when he raised Jesus up from the dead. And he did that to bring about a fear and trembling in us. Right? And so, man, God took, he, he did something so much greater than part the Red Sea. He took the man Jesus, who had the fullness of sin and death manifest in his body, and he didn't just raise him up from the dead like Lazarus was raised up from the dead, because Lazarus was raised from the dead and he died again. But he took this man Jesus, who had the fullness of sin and death in himself, that died the most wretched, miserable death that anybody could ever die, the fullness of all suffering this man experienced, and took the death that we were all so afraid of, and it took the most gruesome image of what this death could do to a guy, and it brought it against this man Jesus on the cross. And then God showed up and raised him from the dead and glorified immortal flesh that could never die again or ever feel weakness ever again. Listen, that will bring some fear and trembling. That will cause you to stand in awe. And it's supposed to make you awestruck by the work of God so that your mind becomes filled with the work of God. And I just want to tell you, God's not into behavior modification. He's not into modifying your behavior. I tell you, because God sees the root of a matter. He doesn't judge a thing by the external part of the matter. And so what God's after is purifying your heart for fear. It says the fear of death left us in bondage all our days. Right? And do you know what the bondage was? We were so afraid of death. We were so afraid of not having life. We were so afraid of our life being overcome. We were so afraid of our nakedness being uncovered that we were looking to the strength of our own hands to try to gather life to ourselves. We were looking to the strength of our own hands to try to decorate ourselves in peace and love and joy. And because we were doing that, we were bearing the fruit of death. And so God sees it's fear that's the root. And so what God's after is purifying your heart from fear and filling your heart with the fruit of the Spirit.
right? Does everybody agree with that? Well, the way he sorts that out is he does a work in your midst to serve you with his life in Jesus that is so exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think or even conceive of as even being possible. He comes and does that work in your midst so that when you see what he's done in raising Jesus from the dead, having overcome death inside of his body, that it would captivate your imagination. That you would be like, what just happened? I mean, we're amazed that a man landed on the moon. Imagine a guy come out of the grave who was dead. I mean, does anybody think you can die more than that dude died? I mean, I don't know if you realize it, but all the blood ran out of his body. He took that guy and raised him up and glorified immortal flesh. They would never die again. He does that to captivate your imagination to the degree that you're awestruck by what he's done to offer you himself. You're awestruck by his goodness towards you. You're awestruck by what he's done to give you all of himself. You're so awestruck that all you can do is stand still there and gaze upon Jesus. Like, wow, wow. If you haven't found yourself saying, wow, it isn't because there's something wrong with you. You just maybe hadn't heard the gospel. Because when you hear that, it's like that Beck song. I don't know how many young people there are in here, but I listen to like secular music sometimes too. But there's a Beck song that's like, wow. It's like right now. You guys can YouTube it later. But that's what it's like when you see what God did in Jesus. It's like, wow. And you just stand there looking at it. It's a fear and it's a trembling, right? And the way this works is as you're standing there, awestruck by what God's done in Jesus, it's akin to God calling forth his life in you. That's what God's doing. That's how he calls forth his life in you. He does a work in your midst that's exceedingly above all you could ever ask or think to the degree that it just stops you. And all you can do is look upon it. And as you look upon it, that's the power of God to call forth the life that his work produced out of you. That's the work of God. To let, that's God saying, let there be light inside of your body. That's what it is when he does this work and you stand still there. It's the power of God separating you from the darkness, from the death, from the tribulation, from the trauma in this world that's tried to destroy your life. That's what's happening. What's your role? Stand still and behold the salvation of the Lord. That's why we preach the resurrection. That's why we preach the cross. As, you, as you're made still because you're like, wow. That's God working his salvation out of you. Because when you see what he's done, he's done something to deliver you from everything that torments you. And when you see what he's done, guess what happens? You're delivered from everything that torments you. You're no longer thinking about what you need to no longer be tormented. You see, this guy did something to set you free from all your torment. And then that calls forth the life in you that isn't tormented anymore. <laughs> and then you feel happy. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I've already lost my voice. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I'm sorry if I offend anybody for calling God this guy. <laughs> when I call God this guy, it's an affectionate term to me because we're so close. That's like me in amazement about God. This guy. Can you believe this guy? I mean, my goodness, this guy, God, I nailed this guy, God, to a tree almost every day of my life as I was growing up. And all he ever did was embrace me and tell me it's okay, I know. That's why you say this guy, right? Because I didn't just, oh, no, no, I don't need your help now. No, I blame God for all my pain. I blame God for all my suffering. After all, if he's God, how could this be happening? And I promise you, when he came to walk with me in the Garden of Eden, you know what I did to God every time he came? I nailed him to a tree. I mocked him. I spit on him. I smacked him across one side of his cheek. I stripped him naked. And do you know what he did every time I did that? He turned the other cheek. He went to get me another coat. And he just fell on me and said, I know, Greg, it's okay, man. That's why you say this guy, God. Right? Because he melted you to the place where you, you tested his love. You want to test something? Test the love of God, if you like. Right? <laughs> I did. I tested it. For you are saved by grace, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in, in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So you guys see the theme. The Apostle Paul says that you're God's workmanship. Whose workmanship are you? Are you your own workmanship? I tried to be my own workmanship. It didn't work out very well. So Paul says you're God's workmanship. He says that God has taken upon himself the responsibility of producing his life in you. And I mean, if you really think about it, it only makes sense, right? I mean, whose life is he trying to produce in you? His own life. And if it's his life he's trying to produce in you, then it would only make sense that he would be the one that would produce it in you. It wouldn't be you that produced it yourself. And I just want to tell you that it's not grievous for God to do this for you. God's not like, why can't they do it themselves? Well, I guess I'll do it for them. <laughs> You're not like a dog that God's trying to throw a bone to. It's not grievous for God to produce his life in you. It's his good pleasure to do it. I, what I even want to say, and I know some people might think it's blasphemy, he ever lived to serve you with his life. The reason he created you wasn't so you could love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. He created you so he could spend all his days loving you with all his heart, all his soul, and all his strength. That's why he created you. God's busy wanting to pour himself out for you. That's how the thing's supposed to work. And so it's not grievous for him to produce his life in you. And you know what? God's not discouraged with how it's going. Listen, I'm, I'm the kind, I, I, could be, I can be critical. And you know who I'm critical of? Myself. And you can be so discouraged with how you think it's going, this process of partaking of life. But I promise you, God's not discouraged with how it's going in you. He's not discouraged with how it's going in the world. 
He can look in the world and see that there's things that aren't right, but I promise you he's not discouraged because he's given himself a certainty that this earth will be glorified with his immortality. And the death that's in this earth will be far removed and it will cease to exist. And he gave himself a certainty that that would happen when he raised Jesus from the dead. And so there's even the hope of God. We talk about our hope, but we can only have hope as still God had a hope. And the hope God has is he gave himself a certainty that nothing can keep his life from manifesting in this earth and from manifesting in his people. And now he's invited us to partake with him in his hope. He's not discouraged with how it's going. He likes to watch a thing grow, it says. He likes to water the seed. He sees Christ in you. He already sees Christ in you. He sees his incorruptible seed in you. He likes to watch a thing grow. He's enjoying watering the seed with the preaching of his word, with the preaching of his work. He's enjoying calling for salvation in you. He enjoys bringing forth his increase in you. And what I want to say is even right now, even right now as we speak, he's bringing forth increase in you. He is. And if you could see what he was doing inside of you right now to manifest his life, if you could see the vengeance he was taking on everything that's tried to come against your heart, you wouldn't feel sad. You wouldn't feel depressed. And so I'm prophesying tonight to try to give you eyes to see God with you, even in you, serving you with life. Because I promise you, the death in this world will try to make you blind. It will try to make it to where you don't see the work of God. It will try to make it to where you don't see what he's done to bring forth life. You're God's workmanship. I said you're God's workmanship. Paul says the faith, this is what will mess you up. Paul says the faith that forms the life of Christ in you, the faith that creates you in the image of Christ Jesus, the faith that saves us, he says it's not of ourselves. He says it's the gift of God. Paul would say in Romans 12 that God gave to every person the measure of faith. And so the faith that Paul says saved, it's the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ. That's the faith that Paul says saves. Do you know the ministry of Jesus? This is shocking to us, but you know Jesus came and said he didn't come to speak of himself? He said he came to speak of the Father in the life that the Father has in himself. The ministry of Jesus was to put the Father in the life the Father has in himself on display for all of us so we could see it and stand in awe of a life that can even overcome death in the flesh. That's the faith of the Son of God, actually. The Father and the life the Father has in Himself. That's the faith of the Son of God. That the Father has given that I could have His life in myself. A life that overcomes death in the flesh. He must love me. He must really love me. That's the faith of the Son of God. The Father was Jesus' faith when He was on the cross. I said the Father was Jesus' faith when He was on the cross. And that's what created his body in the likeness of immortality. The Father was lifted up in his sight. The death of the cross, the death in the world, it was disesteemed in the heart of Jesus because 
He saw the Father because the Father was lifted up in his sight and the life he shared with the Father from the beginning was front and center. It disesteemed the power of the cross because Jesus is thinking, well, I remember when God said, let there be light. And there was nothing but darkness and chaos upon the face of the deep. There was no life there. And then this light went into the middle of the darkness and the darkness didn't overcome the light, but the light brought forth order out of the midst of chaos and brought forth life even out of the midst of darkness. And that's what was lifted up in Jesus' sight. He stood in awe of the Father, even on the cross. The psalmist come and said, the Lord is my shepherd. What does he say? I will fear no evil. The death, this valley of the shadow of death that I'm standing in, it is not exalted in my sight. Why isn't the death exalted in my sight? Because God is with me. And God is exalted in my sight. And I see in God is a life that even overcomes death. And so Jesus stood in awe of the Father and the love that the Father has for him, and how the life the Father gave that he could have even in his mortal body, how that life would even raise him up out of the body of death, and it would clothe him in glorified immortal flesh that could never die again. And do you know what that did inside of Jesus? He was standing still on the cross, beholding the salvation of the Father to save him from death in the flesh. And do you know what that did inside of Jesus? It worked out his salvation. Jesus is the perfect example of fear and trembling on the cross. He did not stand in awe of his own good works. He stood in awe of the good work of the Father. And that called for salvation in him. It made his flesh still. It put his flesh to rest is what it did inside of him. And you know what it did? It strengthened him to endure the contradiction of the cross. That's why we say Jesus is the Word made flesh. I say this about everything. You want to know what fear and trembling, the real definition of it is? Jesus is the Word made flesh about what fear and trembling is. So go look at Jesus nailed to a tree and now start defining fear and trembling. You guys still with me? So God creates you in the likeness of his immortality through Christ Jesus. That's how he does it. He forms his life in you through Christ Jesus. And just as Paul says that God called forth light out of darkness through the spirit of faith, God calls forth his life in you through the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ. God creating you in his image after the likeness of his immortality, the way he does it is he releases his faith into the earth, the faith of God in the man, Christ Jesus. And so the power of God or the grace of God to bring forth his life in you is contained in the faith revealed in Jesus Christ. So if you want the life of God to come forth in you, the strength for the life of God to come forth in you is the faith that was revealed in Jesus. And how do you do this faith? You hear it. That's how you do it. You just hear it. What did Paul say? Faith comes by what? Faith comes by confession. Faith comes by tithing. Faith comes by your much prayer. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but those things are not the power of God to bring forth life out of you. It's the hearing of the faith. 
The hearing of the faith that was revealed in Jesus, the faith that was even in the Son of God's heart when he was nailed to a tree needing someone to do something. What did that dude look to? Because it worked salvation out of him. It kept his heart from the fear of death. And it didn't just do a spark of salvation in his heart. It saved his body from death. My goodness. So Paul, Paul says in those verses, we get these things so twisted. And it's not semantics to me. It's the difference between people experiencing the life of God or not for me. But we get these things twisted. Paul said there's some good works we were ordained to walk in. Listen, I don't care about messing up all your th theology, and certainly we will do many good works. If I'm speaking as a fool and you let me speak as a fool, my wife can testify. I lay my life down daily for everyone. And so we could say that's some good works. And that's God laboring in me. That's the grace of God. Not I, Paul said, but the grace of God laboring in me. So certainly we'll do some good works because Christ lives in us. But Paul's not saying that we walk in our own good works. That's not what he's talking about. He talked about we were ordained from the beginning to walk in these good works. Your good works, my good works. Listen, I hate to disrespect your good works, but I will. God first disrespected my good works. Because I was like the Pharisee guy coming to God, telling him about all the things I had done. Your good works, my good works, they cannot create us in the image of Christ Jesus. I promise you. Because if they could, Jesus wouldn't need to come and die on a cross and be raised from the dead. He could have just come and given us a list of good works to do. We'd walk in those good works, and then those good works would save us. And so Paul's, the, the context there is creation. And how is God going to create us in the image of Christ Jesus? How is God going to call forth his life in us? It isn't by you walking in your own good works. The way God's going to call forth his life in you is by doing the work in your midst and then by calling you to walk in the good work that he's performed. Think about Adam. What was the good work Adam was created to walk in? You know, when Adam was created, everything was done, wasn't it? Who did the work that was done? God. And what was the one thing for Adam to do? Enter his rest. How would he enter his rest? By walking in his good work to serve Adam with everything he needed for life and godliness. That's the good work. If you're God's workmanship, God's the one that does the good work. And then he shows you his good work so that you walk in his good work. Because there's rest for you in his good work. And as you're put to rest by his good work, that rest will cause you to look at his good work, and that good work will start calling forth life out of you. Calling forth life out of you. Because the good work he did was to serve you with life. <laughs> Hebrew says the people didn't enter God's rest even though the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Whose works were finished? Ours? No, God's. And why didn't they enter God's rest? Because they were busy walking in their own good works instead of the good work of God. And even in the book of Hebrews, they were walking in their own good works to perform sacrifices and to do ritual cleansings and all those good things. And the author of Hebrews says there remains a rest for people that will walk in God's good work. And that's the good work we were ordained to walk in from the foundation of the world. That's how God creates you in the image of Christ Jesus, right? So God prepares a table for us. 
I mean, people get upset when you say God serves you. They get so upset. Do you know the psalmist said he prepares a table for me? <laughs> it's like we don't read the scriptures. He prepares a table for me. So listen, God prepares a table for you. He clothes you in his garment. He decorates you in his life. Then he invites you to walk in his good work. And as you walk in his good work, do you know what it does? It animates you with the life of Jesus. And then you find Christ living in you. Paul said it was the faith of the Son of God that caused Christ to live in him. He says, I live my life by the faith of the Son of God now. I live my life standing in awe of the same thing Jesus stood in awe of when he was nailed to a tree wanting life. And that has given birth, that has formed the Christ in me. Right? And Paul, he labored more abundantly than them all. And that brought forth salvation even in his mortal body. That was the Holy Spirit quickening his mortal body. But Paul wasn't just happy that his mortal body was quickened as he walked in the earth. Do you know what Paul looked to? The redemption of his mortal body. Right? And we'll finish with, with these verses. You guys have been very patient. Thank you so much for letting me get this out. Don't, don't, don't be offended by this because of the world we live in. But listen, I'm like a pregnant woman. It's like I'm pregnant with all these things. And if you don't let me get them out, I'll feel frustrated. Not with you, but with myself. Right? It's like you can't tell a pregnant lady she can't be delivered of that baby. You know, try telling a pregnant lady that's been pregnant for nine months. Oh, just a couple more months. You see them look at you squirrely. What did they just say? <laughs> just a couple more months. No. No. Romans 8, verse 14 and 15. Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. You could say so many things about so many parts of this verse, but I want to hone in on the, the part about the, the spirit of adoption and just bring this out. Paul's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit there when, when he's talking in those verses, right? And I just want to tell everybody, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a ministration of life. It's a ministration of life. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of life, I believe. Maybe it was Paul. I think it was Jesus. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God poured out his Holy Spirit. And do you know the sole purpose why he poured out his Holy Spirit? To minister life to you. To bring forth life in you. That's why he did it. You know, we have a beautiful picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit all the way back from the beginning in Genesis. And my friend Gary Venturella and I back there, we talk all the time about the scriptures and we say, if you can't find your gospel in the first three chapters of Genesis, then it's probably not the gospel. It probably isn't. And, you know, we have a beautiful picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit at the very beginning of Genesis. Genesis says darkness and chaos was upon the face of the deep. And then it says that the spirit swooped in and hovered over the face of the deep. It hovered there. 
Do you know in the Hebrew, when you look that up in the Hebrew, do you know what it's describing? It's describing a mother hen that would be brooding over their eggs to incubate life in them, to bring them forth into life. That's what it would describe there. And so there's the Holy Spirit in Genesis bringing forth life in the earth. And so just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep to give it shape and form, the Holy Spirit has been poured out into the earth to hover over us, to give us shape and form. And the way it gives us shape and form is it forms God fully inside of us. And it brings God fully forth out of us, even to the degree that our bodies will even be raised up in the day of our Lord and we'll be glorified in immortal flesh. We'll see Him and we'll see we're the same as Him. And so the Holy Spirit is in your heart right now, incubating life. Right now. I mean, doesn't the parable of the sower sowing the seed say the guy went to bed day and night and he woke up day and night and then he woke up one day with a big crop and he didn't know how? That means he didn't see how it was coming forth. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever is coming against your life, it cannot abide the work of the Spirit in your heart right now. The Holy Spirit is in you right now incubating life. Incubating the Father's life. Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, you know what he says? And when the Spirit has come, he will guide you into whatsoever things were revealed in me. You know, Jesus says something interesting in the same context there. He says he didn't come to speak of himself. He said he came to speak of the Father. And so when Jesus says whatsoever things were revealed in him, the Spirit will come to minister that to you. You know, the thing that revealed in Jesus is the Father in the life the Father has in Himself. That's the thing that was revealed in Jesus. That's what the Spirit came to minister to you. He came to minister to you that the Father has life in Himself. This life the Father has can even overcome death in the flesh. That's important because we were all dying. And even now, we have the incorruptible seed, but we have bodies that are dying. Listen, you know how I know my body's dying? I don't have any hair. I'm struggling to sleep this week because my back hurts. And what's funny is I feel happy anyway. <laughs> it's like it doesn't upset me anymore. Before I thought, where's God? <laughs> I'm like, that dude is in me. The dude abides. <laughs> death doesn't abide. God abides. And so the Father poured out of Himself His life because He cares for you and He loves you. Right? And that was the ministry of Jesus to show you that, to show you the Father's life and to show you the Father loves you. And the Spirit came in the same fashion, after the same likeness, to minister the Father to you. That's what the Holy Spirit is in the earth doing, ministering the Father to you. And you might think, how is he ministering the Father to you? He's ministering the, righteous, the Father's righteousness towards your life. That's what he's ministering right now. He's justifying the Father in your eyes. Because, you know, the world is all the time trying to tell you the Father is a deadbeat dad. That the that's what the world's trying to tell you, that the Father doesn't care. Where's your God now? And the world can point at lots of things like, where's your God now? Greg, you haven't slept in a week. 
Well, you know what God came and told me one day? He said, Greg, it's not that you'll never sleep ever again, but you have, have you ever considered that my life isn't at the mercy of sleeping and not sleeping? And I said, what do you mean? He said, have you ever considered that I can get you what you get from sleep even if you don't sleep? What? I don't know if you guys realize, God's not at the mercy of our mortal bodies. He's not at the mercy of the weakness of our flesh. He don't need our flesh to feel strong to produce life. And then, you know, my prayer completely changed. I stopped praying to God, asking to help me sleep. You know what I started praying to God about? Your life is not at the mercy of whether I sleep or not. And then I felt happy and strong. And listen, you know, ironically, I fell asleep right after that. It's like the, this moment I stopped trying to sleep. In the moment I said, whether I sleep or not, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Then I'm sleeping. <laughs> Uh, the Spirit was given to show you that nothing can discourage God. Nothing can cause Him to stumble in His pursuit to manifest His life fully in you, not even the death in the world. Nothing can keep Him from giving birth to the fullness of His life in you. Nothing, neither death or weakness or tribulation or the corrupt people, the corrupt institutions, the corrupt governments in this world. Nothing can keep God from animating your mortal body with his life. Nothing. We stand so much in awe of what the world can do. But God took all that the world can do and he stood it next to his life in the man Jesus. And I promise you, the worst the world could do didn't come out of the grave. The worst the world could do remained in the grave. And the life that was in Jesus came out of the grave. And that's trying to tell you that nothing can keep God, nothing in this world can keep God from animating you with his life. So you walk around standing in awe of the life of God instead of the death in the world. Because when you stand in awe of the death in the world, the death in the world becomes your almighty God. And now that death starts calling forth fruit in you. Spirit is in you today. Opening the eyes of your understanding. Showing you the thought God has taken to care for your life in the resurrection of Jesus. Showing you what God has thought to do with your life in the glorified man, Jesus. That God has taken thought to care for you exceedingly abundantly above you could ever ask or think. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he did that. He's given you eyes to see God stretch forth his hand and rested it on your head and blessed you with his life. Calling you his own. Claiming you as his own. That's what the Spirit is working inside of you to do right now. And it's working to remove everything that tried to blind you from seeing the Father's hand resting on your head. We can lay hands on people and it's powerful, but the only reason why we can lay hands on people and it's powerful is because God's hand is stretched forth from heaven. The Spirit is moving to show you everything you've ever desired, the substance of everything you've ever wanted for your life is inside of the glorified man, Jesus. Your dream has come true in Jesus. Jesus is the substance of everything you've hoped for. He's the evidence that you have now, the life you see in him, even though it's not yet seen what you have. And the Spirit's working to show you that. I used to think, I need this, I need that. I needed everything. And in my mind, I had nothing. And I never realized the substance of everything I wanted was the life that was manifested in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit opened my eyes. 
And now I see fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you. I had so many dreams. And I'm not saying you can't be passionate about things. But I promise you, every dream you have is wrapped up in you wanting what within Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is working to show you that's every dream you've ever had come true. So that you live your life in awe of that. And you live by passion instead of dream chasing. Mm. Spirit's showing you the world and the life the world offers. And he's showing you it's like that fig tree that Jesus cursed. You know the fig tree had leaves? Do you know when a fig tree has leaves, it, it means it has fruit? It's the time of fruit. And so when you see the fig tree with leaves on it from afar off, that's a sign it has fruit. In fact, it's promising you fruit. But Jesus got up to the fig tree and guess what? There was no fruit. The world is that fig tree. It looks good for food. It promises that it can clothe you in fruit. It promises that it can clothe you in life. The Spirit is working in you right now to show you that fig tree is just a tree promising it can clothe you, but that it can never clothe you. And the Spirit's working the same thing in you that it was working in Jesus to where you start cursing that fig tree. And by cursing the fig tree, I don't mean declaring for it to die. I mean your heart starts counting it as dung towards the end of being able to give you life. That's what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit's bringing forth the single eye in you. And this is the last example. Thank you guys so much. Have you ever seen a little child that gets captivated by something that makes a noise or something shiny? And it's like everything else just goes away. And their hands are just out and they're just trying to grab that thing. And nothing can stop them. I think we've all seen it, right? And you try to give them something else. Nah. Precious. Precious? Precious? The Holy Spirit is bringing forth the single eye in you by showing you the treasure you've always been longing for in the glorified man, Jesus. And what happens is, is you have a single eye because you see the treasure of everything you wanted there and you become like that little child just fixated on that treasure, that precious. Right? Mm. Glory to God. Glory to God. Listen, um, I'm going to finish with that. For those of you that want prayer, we'll get the worship uh, team, Brock and Sarah, to come back up here and put on some music. Man, you guys are free to do whatever you want. If anybody wants prayer, Sade and I will be standing up here, and we're happy to pray with anybody that wants prayer. God is in you. God is with you. He is working life in you right now. Whatever it is that's coming against your life, it cannot abide the power of God to bring forth his salvation in you. The faith of God is present here, right? Forget about whether or not you have faith. We just preach the faith of God. And I tell you, I know what God believes in. God believes that his life is greater than anything that's come against you today. And he believes that he can bring forth life in you even against any kind of death that's manifesting in your life, right? And so you don't need us to pray for you, but if you want prayer, we are happy to pray for you. Glory to God. You guys be blessed. Have a good evening.